How's everybody doing? It is time for Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips here with senior writer and editor Scott Smith. And this is, as always, where we take all of your questions. So if you're not already watching on the Facebook page, head on over there, leave your questions in the comment section, and that's how we get to them. But I know uh, we can already talk about what we know a bunch of the questions are going to be about. There's definitely been some news uh, over the last 24 hours or so. So let's go ahead and start with Chris Godwin. Yeah, well, obviously, everybody now knows that not unexpectedly, the Buccaneers placed their franchise tag on Chris. Uh, yesterday was the deadline. So that wasn't all, that was also not surprising that you wait until the last possible moment in case you get something done and you could possibly use the tag on another player. Um, but that's obviously very good news for Buccaneers fans. Uh, it is a non-exclusive franchise tag, tag, which means Chris is actually technically capable of negotiating with other teams, but in practical terms, it, it usually isn't usually doesn't matter much because very rarely does a, a player who's not a quarterback um, actually negotiate with other teams under the franchise tag because the other team, first of all, the Bucks could match the contract, and second, um, if the Bucks didn't match the contract, they would get two first-round picks from that team, and that's generally a prohibitive price to pay two first round picks and a really big new contract to a player. So um, what it means most likely is that Chris Godwin is definitely back in 2021 and, and the Buccaneers will continue to have one of the best starting tandems of receivers in the league with him and Mike Evans. And also hopefully what it does is extends the negotiating window. So that there's more time for the Buccaneers to be the only team that can really negotiate with Chris and get a long-term deal done. That happens sometimes uh, that happens about 50% of the time, in, at least in recent years with guys that get the franchise tag. We had a few different questions about uh, Shaq Barrett. Liz had asked, how likely is it that he will stay? And then uh, we also had somebody ask if it's more likely that we keep uh, him or Sue. And just in general, what are, what are the, the priorities there of, yeah, if uh, Chad asked with Godwin tagged and um, potentially trying to do a deal with Barrett, what does that mean for Sue? So the way that, how likely is it we keep Shaq how does that maybe affect some of the other guys that we might be trying to keep and, and all those all those dominoes that could fall? Well, what I would say to that basic question in general is just look at last year. I mean, would we have thought going into last year that the Buccaneers would succeed in their goals of getting Tom Brady and also re-signing Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, and Ndamukong Sue using the tag, of course, on Barrett, but that's still a pretty hefty price tag. After watching that happen and then all the other moves that the Bucs made along the way, I think it would be unwise to bet against them being able to get all of it done honestly that's obviously what the bucks want to do they've made it very clear bruce arians made it very clear at the boat parade uh they want to keep as many of these players intact as possible because they truly believe that this team is built for now and can win another super bowl and that's the goal and uh, i think they'll go all in as much as possible to make that happen and again the buccaneers cap space going into this offseason isn't as much as it was last year but but there are ways to make this work and uh one thing i'd like to point people towards is a comment made by uh jason light a couple weeks ago when they were when him and and um and coach arians had a, a, a media availability and they were asked about the fact about the way that the buccaneers have structured most of their contracts over the last decade or so. And if you don't know, what they've mostly done is sort of pay as you go type of contracts with little or no signing bonuses and basically the same salary every year. And what that does is it, it helps keep you out of cap 
problems because if you have to cut a guy, you don't have the acceleration of those salary cap hits. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, but, but what Jason did say was that you do that kind of thing so that when you get to a spot where you can go for it, you can go for it. So I can see the Bucks actually doing those kind of contracts, which are maybe a little backloaded or spread out so that the cap hit isn't so terrible in 2021. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and I know another free agent, uh, Justin had asked us, what is your feeling on AB and if the contract discussions are happening and maybe does knowing that we have Chris Godwin back affect anything about AB? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe if, if you knew you were losing Chris Godwin, maybe you'd make more of an effort to bring Antonio Brown back. But I'm just going to go back to the same answer. I think they want all these guys back if they can get them, and I think they will try. I, I don't honestly know because Jason Light makes a point not of, of not negotiating uh, in the media. So that's not something that's going to be out there. So I don't know what the negotiations between them might be, but I do believe they will try. Yeah, it, uh, when you talked about the desire the team has to bring everybody back, uh, right before this, uh, Carmen Vitale, our staff writer, she and I do an Instagram live on Wednesdays at 9.30 from the Buccaneers Instagram account. And, you know, we, we take questions from fans. And uh, it was funny that on the Instagram live, you know, you can see the comments that are just kind of scrolling on the screen while you're doing it. And all of a sudden it said, Mike Evans is watching. And then it said, Mike Evans, you know, and he said, will we be able to keep everybody? And I just love that, that it is so evident this team believes in being able to go for two as, as coach Arian said at the parade and they want everybody back. It's a team that values everyone in there. So I know that from the players all the way up to, you know, coaches to Jason light and his staff that they are definitely doing everything possible to keep everybody. So I yeah, thought that was pretty great. Um, very, we also have a very tight knit team for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also have to be asking what does voidable years mean? Um, <laughs> it's, so, it's yeah. So this is definitely the time of year that there are all sorts of terms and phrases that we don't tend to talk about other than in March, uh, which I think is always sort of interesting. So explain a little bit about that. And uh, I know you, you can explain a little bit about even maybe why someone would be asking that. Yeah. It's a trick, really. It's something the, the, the Saints, has, for example, have done a lot. You, it's a way of spreading out the cap hit of contracts. So I would imagine the reason that this topic is coming up is because there are reports and of course, the Buccaneers have not announced anything, so we're not saying this is the case, but there have definitely been outside reports that the Bucs and Levante David have agreed to a deal. And if you look at the reports of the structure of his contract, it, it says it's a two-year deal, but there's voidable years on it. And what that does, if you give a guy a signing bonus, let's just randomly say you give a guy a $20 million signing bonus. If that's a two-year contract, then that's going to be spread out cap hit of 10 million year one and 10 million year two. If it's a four-year contract, then it's spread out 5 million each year. And so your cap hit this year is 5 million less. And what, but those voidable years are automatically voidable. So it's definitely going to be just a two-year contract at the end of the two years, those two years void. And then that cap hit of the 5 million from years three and four accelerate to that point. Of course, between now and then you can renegotiate and restructure or, or you can just take the cap hit when it happens, but it's a way of spreading out the cap hit. It's really kind of funny that's, that it's an allowable thing to do, but if it's out there and you can do it, it doesn't bother me that the Buccaneers might. Yeah, and it's it's going to be great. Once all the dust settles of free agency in the draft, I definitely want to, I think I'm going to do some sit-down interviews with Jackie Davidson and, and Mike Greenberg, that they're the people behind the scenes doing all the right. work on, on the contracts. And I, I think that is one of the most underappreciated jobs within the Bucks organization, that it's not just 
as clear cut as it always you you think it oh, is. Yeah. If they just sit down, like we'll pay you this, okay, sign here. <laughs> like there's so much yeah. more to it in the ways that they do get creative and try to find new ways to to get everybody signed, which I think is great. Um, Daniel had asked, uh, do you think OJ may be used in a trade? Uh, to get free up some cap space. And he mentioned especially being traded as part of the draft potentially to get some more picks. So what do you think about that idea? Man, I don't know why there's been such a big move among everybody for the last two years to try to trade OJ Howard. <laughs> why do? Why have we been trying to trade OJ Howard in these discussions for like two years? He's a very good player. I, I know he's had some injury issues. I think that's been a little bit fluky personally. Um, but also think about the fact that at the moment, Rob Gronkowski is not under contract yet. Um, so you could have a position that you feel very good about that's suddenly pretty slim if you trade OJ Howard. I, I think it'd be a much better idea to keep OJ Howard around, hope that you get Rob back. And I think we saw the beginnings last year before OJ got hurt of what could be a pretty potent tight end duo with those two. Yeah. And we actually had someone bring up the um, different potential rules uh, that could be voted on. That's something that we tend to talk about around this time of year and we hadn't yeah. gotten to yet. So uh, what do you know about some of the things that might be considered and the things that, you know, Bucks fans would, would maybe want to know that could, that could change the game this next year if passed? Yeah. I, I think that probably none of these are a good bet to be passed, but the one that I actually like, and I know it's a bit of a opening a can of worms, but the being able to review roughing the passer calls, I can totally understand why people would be reluctant about that because the the experiment on being able to review pass interference calls went horribly. And by the end of that year, I know I for one was hoping that they would not keep that rule and they didn't. But to me, the roughing the passer calls are one of the most frustrating things that happens as a fan when you're watching the game because you see a call and it sometimes races, you know, just gigantic plays or race an interception or something like that. And, and I, honestly, it's happened in the Bucks' favor and against the Bucks uh, in the last couple of years. So it's not a, a homework type of thing. It's just you see the replay and, you, and you're like, there's no way that's roughing the passer. What was the, the defender supposed to do? And to me, it's, it's almost the most frustrating part of watching an NFL game right now. So if there was a way to correct that, I'd be all for it personally. I, I don't like the concept of going back to the old sudden death rules in overtime um, the, the one from, I don't know if you saw the one promoted by the, uh, Ravens about one team gets to choose where the, the drive starts and the other team gets to choose whether to play offense or defense. That's pretty darn interesting. I have a hard time believing that'll actually pass because it seems off an awfully radical step for the NFL to make, but it would be a pretty interesting way to decide it. Yeah. I thought that one sounded really interesting. And especially that, uh, I was, I heard, I think it might've been Mike Florio and Dan Patrick discussing this and that Florio brought up the idea that this would be a whole huge thing for analytics departments to figure yeah. out. And that he said he'd heard it was, it was going to be like the 13 yard yeah. line is like the, the over under almost on like, right. what you would, and I just think that would be really fascinating from a strategy standpoint, strengths and weaknesses of your team, what you believe. Like I, I, I just think it'd be really interesting. I don't know if they're going to want it or not, but as a fan, I was like, I, I would be intrigued by if, that. If you took the ball at the 15, here's another thing. If, if the team set the, at the 15 and you took it, therefore you're on offense. Are you playing four down football right there? Like do you, if you get to fourth and three at the 23 or 22, are you punting? Because if you punt from the 22, you're, they're probably getting the ball at their 40 or 45. They're just like a first down or two away from kicking the winning field goal. Yeah. So that's another thing. Are you playing four down football? Because if you go for fourth down there and don't make it, you're basically giving away the game. 
So it would definitely add a lot of strategy, but I saw the same thing about the 13 yard line being sort of where they expected the over under to be. Yeah, that's such an interesting idea. I love that. Um, well, we also had uh, Joe said it's his birthday and wanted a shout happy out. So happy birthday, Joe. Right. Um, and it was then my birthday our- four days ago. I know, and yeah, and mine coming up on Friday. This is all the March people. Go. We're just this is <laughs> our see. this is our happy birthday week for everybody. Um, all right. Well, we our last one here. Richard had asked, "Who is a draft prospect you love, and then maybe a player you think the Bucks have a shot at drafting?" So you, those those could be the same answer or or two different answers. I really like the two linebackers that that I think are at the top of the board. I think they're the type of players that um, a lot of teams are going to be after, and that. I'm not saying they're Devin White or they probably go in the top five, but they, you know, they can cover, they can rush, they can play all over the field. That's Micah Parsons and Jeremiah Awuka Koromoa. Um, I like both those guys. I think they'll be coveted players in the middle of the draft after an early run on quarterbacks. Um, I do in my mock draft so far, I've given the Buccaneers defensive linemen, most recently Washington's Levi Onzerike. Um, So I, I don't think those two linebackers I like are going to make it to the end of the round. Um, there are some other linebackers like Nick Bolton, who who uh, who could be available at 32. But if the news of the Buccaneers getting Levante David back proved to be true, then I don't think we'll be in the market for that in the first round. Yeah, that makes complete sense. All right. Well, thanks to all of you guys for being with us today for all those amazing questions. We'll be back here next week and we'll see you then. <laughs>